hey, I just finished reading First Enoch, and I really want to talk about it. So do you want to have that conversation? Dude, why are you always coming with this weird stuff? It's not in the Bible for a reason. Just get out of here. All right. Oh, come on. I said I was ready. I'm going to just use that one. All right. Welcome to your Church Friends Podcast. I'm Chris. I'm... I'm... Come on. Pull it together. It's our last Enoch show here. Yeah. Are you just... We're just so excited that we finally... Ecstatic. Yeah. Ecstasy. (laughs) Ecstatic revelation that we're having. Uh, Yeah. The the bigger problem is um, our lives have kind of changed as far as schedule. So where we would normally record our shows like 11 o'clock, noon, sometimes one in the afternoon, uh, we're doing these things at like 11 p.m. or later. And this is what you guys are getting, kind of more of the the late delusional, and Murdoch can't even keep it together on the other side. He's just laughing, uh, late night, after hour shows. I have such a pain in my chest right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Pull it together. <laughs> Pull it together, buddy. All right. <clears throat> I'm Mirdlich. There it is. Now we're ready to start the show. All right. Yeah. Which is the last Enoch episode. Yeah. At, at least from as far as I can tell, this will be the last one. That's what you said before we started the episode, and I had to remind you of how many times you have grossly misjudged how long this would take. I really have. I went into Enoch thinking we could do it in three. And then five, and this is episode 12. Which is weird, because from my side, it seems like it's been a lot more than 12 (laughs) episodes. Maybe it's because you were gone for like so many weeks in between. Yeah, Um, visiting the country. Which, uh, just a question for any of our listeners in Missouri. Why do you guys tailgate so much? We drove through the whole state of Missouri, and every driver, every person was like, you know, there was no room for the Holy Spirit. And we're going down the highway like at 80, 75, and like, yeah, the person behind us is just, so if you're Was from there Missouri, lots of cars on the road? Like, were people trying to pack in? Or people just like, whenever no, they were no. there, they just had to be behind Yeah, you? Well, they just had to be behind another car. They were like, drafting like a NASCAR. Maybe. Saving gas. Maybe. Makes sense. Frugal people in Missouri. Maybe that's it. But if you're from Missouri and you do that, can you just email us to let us know why? My wife would really appreciate that. I really thought you were going to say so if you're from Missouri, why? Why? <laughs> First of all, why are you there? No, it was, it was nice. It was a nice drive. But anyways, Enoch, let, let's jump into this bad boy. Let's go. Let's go. 105 is the chapter, or no, 106. So we're going to cover 106, 107, and 108. Uh, 107 is like two verses, which I don't have a bunch on. But uh, 106 is a fascinating little nugget at the end of this book. And when I first gave it a read-through, it it really didn't make sense to me why it was there. Um, But now that we're actually kind of looking at it and getting into it, and we've talked, and even the extent of what we've talked through Enoch, uh, there's a lot more. But from what we've talked to it, it does make sense now. Like every, every parable, book, story, vision, all the sections were leading towards the flood. Everything was about, here comes this flood, this, this judgment that's going to uh, bring righteousness and wipe away unrighteousness. And so we get to the very end that it is then 
the birth of Noah. Mm-hmm. So it does make a little sense to me that here it's it's whoever placed these books together placed it at the end. Like it makes sense for those reasons that you just said, but when you just say the birth of Noah, that doesn't quite put across what Enoch puts across. Oh, yeah, no. He's like, here's the birth of Noah. Yeah, yeah. So if we go back to this is the book written by the guy mm-hmm. or guys, as we've talked about, that gave us such things as the watchers. Mm-hmm the eternal judgment of which, the heavenly luminaries and all of their dancing through portals. He delivers on the birth of Noah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Can I, can I read a bit of it? Uh, yes. And or then, do you want to comment on it first before I kind of... I have a few comments on it, yeah, first, and then we'll go through... Okay, I just want to really give the imagery that yeah, he yeah, gives here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there's some interesting things in it. There's uh, the Noah's birth, uh, the way it's looked at in this story is actually something other Second Temple texts talk about. So like Noah's birth was this very unique thing, mm-hmm. uh, and it raises a lot of questions on whether Noah was one of the Nephilim by birth, um, and, uh, but I guess he was the righteous one. Uh, but these very, uh, a lot of these uh, Second Temple things, they vary in details, uh, but they're, they do seem to serve two purposes. One of them is it does help answer the question of the reemergence of the Nephilim and the giant clans after the flood. Uh, and it also, it interprets Noah being righteous within his generation and allows the idea that the corruption of the whole earth was the whole earth except for Noah. Um, so I was shaking my head through that because just like I, when I read that, it's just like, yeah, I can see why that would be a thing that gets put out because of what we're going to read in the section. But where it falls in my site you know my scholarly view of things oh yeah yeah is uh god's plan was for humans mm-hmm. and if you look at noah and then noah's sons and you're just like if noah was a righteous nephilim and then his sons coming from him were part nephilim that means everyone coming from that point after the flood is was, part yeah. nephilim and it's just like that is not the narrative of mm-hmm. the bible so it's like oh yeah i can see how you would want to weave that together if you ignore the rest of what's going right. on is like the story of going back to the garden and who's coming from Adam and Eve and the one that's going to crush the head of the serpent and everything is just like, yeah, that's for humanity. Mm-hmm. And as far as how did the Nephilim come about later, it's like, I'm going to opt for not that. Yeah. Like for me, it's got too many yeah, holes in yeah. it. It just doesn't line up. Again, that's my thing. If, if you want to fight about it, then you can be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to bring that up real quick. No, because that is the thing that gets out put there, out there, yeah. but I just... For anybody who is looking at that, I think the second consider the weightiness of my word. <laughs> the second one offers probably more to us is that the world was corrupt, and it was corrupt because mm-hmm. uh, from what Enoch's approach is, the Nephilim they they just corrupted them, and the Watchers corrupted the way men were heading. Which I've heard it the other way, where you said maybe Moses was the righteous of the Nephilim. Mm-hmm. I've heard it the other way, to where like the corruptness of the Nephilim coming so much that either like all of mankind was tainted with like Nephilim blood or just the teachings of which and like they were all just in on that completely. Yeah. So yeah, let's read it now. All right. Go for it. This is fun. I'm just going to do the beginning couple verses. So, and after some days, my son Methuselah took a wife for his son Lamech and she became pregnant by him and bore him a son. Normal. And his body was as white as snow and as red as a rose and the hair of his head was white as wool and his demdema, which is Ethiopian word for Afro, kind of. Apparently, that's what I was getting there. Does your translation have a different thing? 
long locks. Okay. Well, mine getting into it is just like talking about you got curly hair that's like brushed out. Yeah. So he had, and it was white as wool and was beautiful. So here you have this little baby who's white as snow, red as a rose with a white afro, a beautiful one. Mm-hmm. And as for his eyes, when he opened them, the whole house glowed like the sun. The whole house glowed even more exceedingly. And when he arose from the hands of the midwife, he opened his mouth and spoke to the Lord with righteousness. That's a baby right there. Yeah. I mean, all babies talk when they're born. It's, it's normal. Um, what this reminded me of, and I know that you were saying that it kind of lines up with some Second Temple stuff, but it reminds me of how Jesus is spoken of in the Quran. Mm. Are you familiar with mm-hmm. that? Um, yeah, just spoken of when, basically when he was born, he was already just like ready to go performing miraculous things. I'm pretty sure he was talking and just like, yeah, he was ready to go as a baby. So that's got the same thing happening here. Same kind of, yeah, yeah, same thing. Uh, yeah, there's a lot in there. Uh, the Noah at his birth. So there's like the bright whites, the bright skin, white, uh, the wool like hair, uh, and he speaks and his eyes shine. and, And, um, I really I read this. I thought it was cool. It said the appearance of his body is is described paradoxically. The idea is a sense of both purity and beauty, but the coexistence of snow white and and rose red boggles the mind. Now, Nickelberg asked the following questions: Does his body change in appearance? Um, and I just thought of like that picture, you know, that like you hold it, and if you look at it from one direction, it's one image, and then if you look at it from another direction, it's another image. Um, so I thought it was something like that, maybe. Uh, and then he says, or is this the idea, or is the idea like Enoch's description of the heavenly temple, where in God's realm, the mutually exclusive elements of ice and fire can coexist? So interesting. even in like a very scholarly approach, the question was asked of, what's this trying to describe? What are we trying to get here? You said it for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. But to continue on, to kind of touch more into, like, that's a description of, cool, that, mm-hmm. that's how he came out. But to go further into, okay, well, why would that mean that he might have been a righteous Nephilim? Let's continue a little bit to, to give some background there. <laughs> and I think this oh, yeah, is, yeah. This is just fantastic. He goes, and his father Lamech was afraid of him and fled and went to Methuselah, his father, and said to him, I've begotten a strange son. He's not like an ordinary human being. He looks like the children of the angels of heaven to me. His form is different, and he's not like us. His eyes are like the rays of the sun, and his face glorious. It does not seem to me that he is of me, but of the angels. And I fear that a wondrous phenomenon may take place upon the earth in his days. So I'm beseeching you now and begging you in order that you may go to his grandfather Enoch, our father, and learn from him the truth for his dwelling places among the angels. So like, yeah, if you have a baby like that that opens his eyes and the whole house lights up, you're going, Dad? X-Men. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got Cyclops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we just had Cyclops. Go, go, go get him some sunglasses. Yeah. That'll keep the, the rays from bouncing off everywhere. It's not so far-fetched where he's coming from because uh, even in Daniel, when we go back to like his hair like wool, uh, Daniel uh, uses the same imagery when he's describing the Ancient of Days. Yeah, you get that in Revelation in as Revelation well. In Revelation as well. And even the eyes, like Daniel has the same thing, and I think Revelation has the same thing. where Eyes like flame and fire. Eyes like flame and fire. So authors of the Bible, Old and New Testament, kind of picked up the idea of that being angelic beings or heavenly beings of some sense. In my short-term memory, I feel like I might have referenced Noah as being Moses earlier. Just for anybody, if I said Moses, I meant Noah. That's what we're talking about, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what I did like though was the part you read is that uh, Lamech panics and he uh, and he doesn't think that Noah's a human. Um, 
and I think that's kind of a natural reaction, I would say. Um, his son's born and looks nothing like him. Like, talk about uh, your Jerry. Where's Sp- Maury? <laughs> yeah. yeah, where's Jerry Springer? Where's Maury? Like, uh, definitely, this is not my kid. Uh, one of the versions that I, I saw, it said that uh, it begins with Noah already being born uh, and there being a stormy and passionate confrontation between uh, Lamech and his wife, uh, who denies that she had intercourse with an angel. Hmm. Uh, so uh, eventually what they do is uh, he goes to his dad, Methuselah, yep. to find out the truth. And then Methuselah goes on a pilgrimage to, to Enoch, Enoch yeah. to find out the answer. And then Enoch eventually reveals to Lamech that, you know, in the Jerry Springer sense, you are the real father type thing. And uh, that happens. Was that Jerry Springer or was that Maury? Maury. That was more Maury, huh? Yeah. yeah. I think it happened on Jerry Springer because everything happened on yeah. Jerry Springer. <laughs> everything happened on Jerry Springer. Uh but yeah, I think yeah, you're right. It was Maury. Yeah, um, I miss those shows. I don't. They were like the a weird tangent right now, but they were like my childhood summer in a sense. Like we only had the basic TV channels. And, we only had basic, and I just yeah. remember staying home from school and be like, "Well, I could be here with myself, or I could be here with Maury." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and Maury was there. I'm just like, I don't like any of this. Let's see who this kid's dad is today. Yeah. <laughs> um. When I'm looking at that and just like, oh, is there with the angel and kind of the parallels there to where you, you get um, Mary and Joseph? Yes. You yeah. know what I mean? To where, like, wait, you're pregnant. Mm-hmm. That's not going to be my kid. I mean, for in their case, it's like mm-hmm. there's no way that that could be my kid. And then, you know, just that that's what it brought to my mind. And versus him saying, I think that it was from an angel. You have an angel coming down and saying, no, this is of God. Mm-hmm. So loose parallelism going yeah, on there a little bit. Yeah, I mean, Enoch plays the role of the angelic interpreter, where uh, Matthew is the angel of the Lord, and I think Luke Matthew is Gabriel. Gabriel. Yeah. And so uh, I did see this, and the difference was that Noah, was, uh, the supernatural conception in, about Noah was denied, as where Jesus, it was confirmed by the Holy Spirit. So right, right. yeah, you do see the splits there, but there is a parallel, parallel between both of them, yeah. Um, and then Enoch tells Lamech that uh, they will name him Noah, and Noah and his three sons would be the way humanity would survive the coming judgment of the flood. So all that's basically 106 in a nutshell. It's hard reading through some of this stuff sometimes because, like, obviously things are worded weirdly. Yeah. But when we were talking earlier about um, where the Nephilim would come from again, mm-hmm. so when he's talking about this, Saying, all right, well, he's going to be the remnant and his son, he and his son shall be saved, which is going to come upon the earth on account of all the sin and oppression that existed. But then it says, after that, there shall occur still greater oppression than that which was fulfilled upon the earth the first time. Did you catch like when it's talking about what that second greater oppression was going to be? Or, you know, sometimes when it lines up the timing, like was the first one prior to and then that one was talking about for the flood because what it seemed to be like is during his time was the Mm -hmm. first level of oppression and that was bad then after that there's going to be still greater oppression and then he goes on to say for i do know the mysteries of the holy ones for he the lord has revealed them to me and made me know and i've read them in the heavenly tablets so it's an interesting thing to where he's saying, hey, this great deluge is coming. There's going to be destruction. Noah, he's going to come. It's going to be his sons. That's going to happen. But then there's going to be another big bad thing that happens after that too. Yeah. And he's just like, because I know these things. God showed them to yeah. me. Yeah. 
That's the way it just kind of leaves it off like that. Like it that's leaves, literally the last yeah, thing of, yeah. the, of that of that uh, chapter. And again, as we've seen so many times, well, not so many, twice, how there's been a recounting of basically all of history up mm-hmm. until, you know, the point. If these are second temple period writers, it's like, what are they viewing as that second bad thing that would happen? Right. And you look at, well, there's been a lot of oppression that's come in, whether mm-hmm. you look at the Assyrians and the Babylonians and, you know, the Romans coming in and all these different things. So, or the Nephilim that were happening and... Or even where, like, the Egyptians. Yep. Because even that's prophesied to oh, yeah. Abraham. Yeah, yeah, like, your Your children will go to a place and be oppressed there. Yeah, they face a lot. Yeah. As a as a whole, as a nation. I just wasn't sure in your study if you got, like, what that was. Because, like, hey, there's mm-hmm. a great one and the flood's coming because of it. Yeah. It's like, what this one would be. Yeah. It's interesting because even looking at the book as a whole, we see a lot of, like, the flood is coming. Mm-hmm. And then, but there's a second judgment that always follows because of everything that happens. Like, the flood wiped everything out. It should have then had a line of righteousness, right, come out of it. But that the desire of man is still always chasing after. Yeah, looking at that, are you saying that that second judgment and looking and how messianic parts of First Enoch is? Mm-hmm. If, again, for the Messiah to come and have the judgment which is to set these things right and to come against the sinners. Like, how many times have we had woe to woe to woe to mm-hmm. woe, which you just came through, and all of the judgment of the sinners and the unrighteous and, you know, the oppressors before that. So I was like, I wonder how much of it's just kind of tied to that overall, hey, it's going to be bad stuff until the Messiah comes. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, the, just a thought, even us talking through it. I thought you caught it. Yeah, there's a fly buzzing around us, and I thought I caught it too. Uh, chapter 108. 107. Oh, I don't have much for 107. What do you got? Well, you said you don't have much. Does that mean you don't have nothing? Yeah, pretty much. I'm just going to read it. All right. Then I beheld the writing upon them that one generation shall be more wicked than the other until a generation of righteous ones shall arise, wickedness shall perish, sin shall disappear from upon the earth, and every good thing shall come upon her. And now, my son, go and make it known to your son Lamech that his son who has been born is his son in truth and not in falsehood. And when Methuselah had heard the words of his father, Enoch, for he revealed to him everything in secret, he returned home. And he called the name of that son Noah, for he will comfort the earth after all the destruction. Just that beginning part, it links together with that already but not yet Mm -hmm. type of thinking. Like, okay, there's going to be this righteous generation that comes up. And it seems like a lot of times when the Messiah gets brought up, it's like, he's going to come and judge. And then after that, everything's going to be righteous. And that's what's going to be coming from there. And you get that here. It's like, hey, there's going to be this righteous generation that rises up and wickedness is going to perish. And for us existing in where we are in time, knowing that the Messiah is coming, has sorry, has come. It's like, when is the com- full completion of that? Yeah. You know, as they were looking forward. For us, we're, we're still looking forward. Yeah. That's the part that's always crazy to me when I think about it, is that the time frame of when Jesus came in history, and like everything is still always a looking forward. But I think I was talking to Justine about this. Like Jesus could have came at any time in history, uh, but I, you know, God knowing this is the time mm-hmm. for it to make the most sense to fulfill all of Scripture. But I, I wonder. I, I know a lot of people think the same thing like what if jesus came today what if it was 
today was our time. That was the fulfillment of the scripture. What would the response be? How would people act? And uh, a lot of times we kind of get this self-righteous idea that like, if Jesus came back today, I would definitely go after and follow him. But I really feel like a lot of times we personally, I would probably feel more like, ah, that guy's probably crazy or this or that. And fall into the boat of maybe more of a Pharisee or something else. Maybe it's just because we live in a big city and big like metropolis type mm-hmm. area that I've met the guy claiming to be Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I've met a couple of yeah, them. Yeah. I know what I think of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you're just talking about like, I feel like they'd be crazy. I'm just like, I'm yeah. sorry, a wandering dude with a bunch of his friends mm-hmm. that are just like showing up that live in the woods Performing and the mountains tricks. and coming. Yeah. And just like, yeah, look at my wine. Yeah. <laughs> just like... Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. (laughs) You know, it's just like... The initial reaction, I'm getting what you're saying. Yeah, and that's where, like, what you're talking about, like, this generation of righteousness, and we're, like, always kind of looking forward to it. I really believe it's because a lot of times it's hard for us to even uh, fully understand this whole notion of what we're... what faith is and what Christianity is or what our religion is, um, that it's it's this constant inner battle of... uh, I, I think of that story of uh, the guy who, whose uh, daughter Jesus, or he goes to Jesus to heal his daughter. Jairus? I think so. And he's like, uh, he says, th- this always stood out to me because it's, it's always kind of a, a spot that I feel in my own journey of faith, is uh, help me in my unbelief. Mm. And I think that's kind of where we're at, is that logic, and especially if you think of today, we have so much logic and technology and uh, are so... Uh, what we would perceive ourselves as advanced than what culture and time has been in any real generation before us, um, that it makes kind of stepping out in faith or believing in faith a little more difficult because faith doesn't really work in logic. There's a thing kind of along those, kind of along those lines and what it brought up to my mind was with Thomas because Thomas mm-hmm. had to see yeah. and Jesus' response to Thomas was, all right, come see, put your finger. And Thomas replied, my Lord, my God. And Jesus said to him, because you've seen me, you believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And going back to that thing of like, oh, if Jesus was here today, like Jesus's own words are saying, you're blessed if you haven't seen him and you still believe and you mm-hmm. still follow. So like, we're in a state of blessedness today. Yeah. Because of that. It's like, well, no, I want to give up my blessing. <laughs> Like, it's just, are we going to take his word seriously? It's like, no, I want to have your body here. I'd rather have your body than your blessing. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I feel like we're getting a bit off track from Enoch. Yeah, slight tangent. Um, You got anything else on 107? Um, Just that thing of that generation of righteous ones appearing and that thing of feeling like, okay, well, when is it going to happen? Bringing up Daniel again. I feel like that prophecy of Daniel where there is the statue and then the rock that's hewn by God hits it, demolishes that, and then keeps on growing and keeps on growing, right? Until it takes over everything. That's where I see the generation of righteousness coming in. How's it worded here? Until the generation of righteous ones shall arise, wickedness shall perish, and sin shall disappear. We're like, okay, well, that's in a generation. Mm-hmm. But if I was to interpret it kind of in that way of that rock that just keeps on growing, it's like, well, yeah, the church that's been spreading across the earth, and you look at all the demons that have been cast out, you look at all the sin that's been forgiven, you look at all of those that are coming out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light, it's like, it does keep growing. Yeah. So that's 
we're in the process of it, I guess is what I'm saying. All right, 108, go for 108. it. 108, uh, read four to six. Four to six. I also saw there something like an invisible cloud, and though I could see that it was completely dark, yet I could not see the flame of its fire because it was burning brightly. And there were some things like bright mountains which formed a ring around it and which were tossing it to and fro. Then I asked one of the holy angels who is with me, saying to him, What is this bright thing? For it is not a heaven, but merely the flame of a fire which is burning, and a voice of weeping, crying, and lamenting, as well as strong pain. And he said unto me, This place which you see into it shall be taken the spirits of sinners, blasphemers, those who do evil, and those who alter all the things which the Lord has done, through the mouth of the prophets, all of which have to be fulfilled. So, very familiar language there. I, At I, first, I'm just like, oh, that's that thing that's been hovering around above uh, Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've seen really grainy videos of yeah, that thing. Yeah. And then it keeps going, it's like, oh, no, that's yeah. not what that is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, The it's very familiar language, though, of, of descriptions of hell. Yeah. Uh, the weeping of gnashing of teeth, the crying out. Um, so you see, again... Now, what I like, and even in this section, uh, really 108, this final chapter, you do catch a lot of uh, New Testament imagery and themes that come out of it. And, and even this description of hell, of weeping, gnashing, and crying, uh, you don't really see that Old Testament. You do see that Jesus himself says. And the flame as the well. Flame. Right? Yeah. Uh, so I really thought that was interesting. And even the part where it said... Uh, uh, this place belongs to the sinners and the blasphemers. Like again, that reminded me a lot of Revelation and things that we've uh, kind of touched on already. I, I think 108 is a good uh, summation of Enoch's theme, or what it's really trying to get across to us. Um, even like verse seven through ten, where it talks about uh, the righteous and kind of uh, where they're at. There's a lot of similarities in there from Matthew five, uh, the Beatitudes, Matthew five. Um, chapter 6 of the Sermon on the Mount, where you're talking about like um, wealth and going chasing after that. Uh, and then Luke chapter 6, which is, I, I'm assuming, part of the sermon, the mini Sermon on the Mount, and uh, 12 as well. There's a lot of parallels between those verses and that um, in there. And for me, one of the main things that comes out of it, well, but maybe we should read that, because I think it'll make more sense if we read it. Want, want to read 7 through 10? Yeah. I was really going to want to comment on it anyway, so yeah. reading it is going to be good. For some of these things were written and sealed above in heaven so that the angels may read them, the things that are written, and know that which is about to befall the sinners, the spirits of the ones who err, as well as those who defiled their bodies, revenged themselves on God, and worked together with evil people. Those who love God have loved neither gold nor silver, nor all the good things which are in the world, but have given over their bodies to suffering, who from the time of their very being have not longed after earthly food, and who regarded themselves as a mere passing breath. And they have observed this matter, the Lord having put them through much testing. Then he received their pure spirits, so that they should bless his name. And I have recounted in the books all their blessings, he has caused them to be recompensed, for they were all found loving God, more than the fire of their eternal souls. And while they were being trodden upon by evil people, experiencing abuse and insult by them, 
They continued blessing us. I like that portion. It is one of those things that when I read these things, because there's a lot like that in like early church fathers' writings, mm-hmm. and you know, a lot that's within kind of uh, the writings of monks and people who really take a more like a lot more firm like stance in life yeah. in these areas. And it's hard because it's really convicting. And I really, I really analyze these things hard because they're saying, look, they considered their life and what it was. It was a passing breath. This life is not where we stay. All the things of this earth aren't the things to be gone after, whether it's gold and silver or the good things that like want to, you know, take your attention. But to just love God, even through the trials. And it points out there's stuff that's in biblical truths elsewhere. Just God allows us to go through trials. Mm-hmm. And there's a testing that's there. And it talks about being a pure spirit. And it's just like, I think that's in James, talking about the trials that purify us, right? Yeah. And to bring us to those points. And really to truly look at my life that way, because honestly, there's so many things that can distract me. Yeah. And that I do want to go after in this life. And I think that there's a, an appropriate place for like how to pursue and live the life that God has given us. You know, mm-hmm. in the world that he's given us to live in and to do those things. But I also know being an American in 2023 that so much of where I'm at with that is very tainted. It's not pure. Yeah. Even the quote unquote good things are like, no, this is a good thing. And right here is just like, no, they didn't even go after that. Like they're just about loving God and to the point of they're suffering through it and actually facing persecution and they're just blessing. I, I find this to be like one of those conundrums in the mind when we talk about like that monk lifestyle and mm-hmm. approach to Christianity because it's like they just secluded themselves. They're in God's word. They're studied deep in there. And then I get lost in like, yeah, that, that would be great. I would have this really connected relationship with God. And I always get stuck in the spot of like, but where do I do that follow-up end of then go and make other disciples? And that's where in my brain, like my brain just like can't compute those two together because I feel like both are what we're supposed to do, but it's so hard to like do one and not the other. Like, how do you do both of those in the world that we live in in today's society? Um. I would say that for us, for most people who are actually able to listen to this podcast, uh, I'm including us in the us, is that we could probably go pretty hard in the trying to live a monk-like life without going too far. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think that we're pretty far in the comfortable yeah. side that we could go pretty hard into what feels like us. One like, I don't know, or am yeah. I giving up too much? And what is this? And like, you know, you obviously want to do things with wisdom and discernment, but I feel like we could give up a lot and be closer to center mm-hmm. <laughs> than like, <laughs> oh no, here I yeah, am yeah, off yeah. living the, the crazy ascetic life that is too far in that direction. Um, I no longer have my iPhone. I just have a flip phone up. Oh, I've gone too far. <laughs> yeah. I have to use T9. <laughs> I'm, oh, that's, I'm printing no, out MapQuest. I have that, no GPS. That's oppression on a whole other level. Did <laughs> you know that MapQuest still exists? For what purpose? I, I guess so. I mean, they, I still see Thomas Guides sold. I feel like they just have to exist at this point. Yeah. We're still on that timeline. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but in that, I actually asked this, that type of question um, to a group who are more familiar with more the idea of monks and, and that kind of mm-hmm. thing. And I brought up that exact question that you're saying. And the response was that 
within kind of the broader body of Christians, there are those whose gifting and purpose is to be given up in prayer mm. for the rest of their body, that that's like their function in yeah, the body. That and makes that sense. that's what they're called to and that's what their purpose is. And that when you're saying like, what is about how you're making the disciples and whatever, they were explaining to me that when these people go and live this life, is it through their prayers and through the life and the offerings that they're giving to God, certain people are drawn to them, whether it's to join in the monastery and live in that life and continue in that, or to come and learn for a time or to receive answers and wisdom and whatnot that only can be given from somebody living that. Mm. You, you know what I mean? Like, okay, I'm a lot more comfortable with that answer. I, I was appreciative of that because I was just like, how can you fulfill the Great Commission and other things that require involvement with people if you're just out there? Yeah. Like secluded. I was like, okay, I can see that. And even as I've looked into some monk life, it's like, <laughs> just because you're secluded with other people who are doing that doesn't mean that the flesh goes away all yeah. that easily. Yeah. Like there is definitely, cool, you're up there living with a bunch of, a bunch of guys or a bunch of girls. It's like, you still got to deal with people. Yeah. And reading some of the like the earlier church writings or even maybe not that early, but just people who are doing it and just what they go through, just like, okay, I have that in my church too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So... Yeah, and that makes sense, too, the way that's phrased. I like that because it made me think of the body as a whole. But really, with, with like focusing back on this chapter, the main thing that I got from it was that uh, loving God is the highest good and is our real motivation to keep God's law. And that's kind of where I've, to answer my own question of like monk lifestyle or go out and proclaim the gospel lifestyle, um, is if I love God, I'm going to figure out which way I'm going like which direction God's calling me to, which way is he going to use me at? Um, and the world that we do live in, it offers a lot of things, a lot of real distractions. Um, but am I willing to uh, let go of it, not cling on to it, not desire it, uh, not really love it and the things that it has to offer, but instead take on the promises that Jesus gives us and, and follow him, you know, to to really go out there and live for him. And I think we get stuck in like, oh man, today is so cool. The world that we live in and what I have here is so great uh, that we miss, forget, or sometimes even deny that there is something afterwards. Mm-hmm. And this is what really what I feel like First Enoch is hitting over and over and over again. Your decisions today, that choice I make is going to play out on that decision and whether or not I'm going to follow the way of life, that Big theme throughout all the books, all the sections, uh, and go after God or follow the way of death, which is following my flesh. Um, and, and that's kind of where it's this section, especially that portion right there, really took me to was was that. Like, how much of it am I going to really give up in a sense? We talked about the last episode. What does it mean to be part of the world or to take up things of the world? Is And the world has a lot of comfort to offer. Um, and we do live in it sometimes. But in this sense, where it's like, uh, they'll love God and not gold and silver, does that mean that we shouldn't have money at all and we should give it away? Or is it that the moment we get it, our first mind isn't like, what am I going to buy new? But is how am I going to use this to bless someone else? You know, I think that's the mind shift of it. And I could be off, but that's really how I found that money would not have any lordship over me and my life and, and my marriage and Justine's is that... We get blessed and we look to bless someone else. See, really, the American out for that one 
is that our money isn't worth gold or silver. <laughs> so we're not storing up anything. <laughs> yeah. Like we're literally doing nothing fiat currency. Anyways, um, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. And it has been the thing that we've touched on several times because First Enoch, as you said, just keeps bringing it back around again of how much of all the parts of this book, because there's what, there's there's five different books, sections yeah. within this, um, that it really just comes down to judgment. Mm-hmm. And on that spiritual realm, like from the very get-go, he's saying like, cool, here's a peek into the spiritual realm. Mm-hmm. And now here's a deeper dive into the spiritual realm. Oh, but this isn't just about mystical, magical things and where wind comes from. It's let me show you where the righteous go. Mm-hmm. Let me show you where the sinners go. Let me show you where the uh, rebellious angels go. Like that's where all of this is headed to. And there is something that we do need to take on that like, yes, I'm headed to one of those places. Mm-hmm. And as you said, there, there's a path. Like mm-hmm. you're going to take a path to one of those places. And the path of righteousness, the path that is straight and narrow, as Jesus said, but even how you were how you were talking through some of that stuff, I like how Enoch puts it in ch- verse thirteen, talking about the righteous ones who have loved his holy name. Right, and it says, "And they shall be resplendent for ages that cannot be numbered, for the judgment of God is righteousness, because He will give faith as well as the paths of truth to the faithful ones in the resting place." And just looking at that thing of Living a righteous life is coming because God gives faith, mm. right? And it's just that thing of a, a monk-type life or what, what's the split on all those things? Mm. And you're saying, I'm, I'm just going to follow after God and trust that that's what it is. Like, yeah, that's the faith part. And that's God's desire is to give us this gift of faith that we would be saved through that. And that even through that faith, we're going to receive his mercies and his graces and his righteousness, right? And we get all of that all throughout Scripture to where when you look way back and you see someone like Abram, who just, because of his faith, it was counted to him as righteousness. It's like, what law did he have? There was no law. Like, he, yeah. he just followed what God was giving him. And when you get to Jesus saying, hey, have faith in me. Listen to what I'm saying. If you love me, just follow what I'm giving you. And it's not a thing about like, ah, no, I need to be a monk. I need to do this. It's mm-hmm. just like, no, walk in the good way that God is putting by faith. Not by sight, but by faith. And that's kind of that not by sight part. It's just like, there's a whole lot of stuff in our world that's by sight. Yeah. (laughs) It's just like, okay, I need to learn to not do by sight, but to do by faith. Like, what is scripture pointing me towards? And even we're looking at first Enoch, uh, if you're Ethiopian scripture for the rest of us, interesting book to read. Mm -hmm. Um, When I read something like this, like this section that is convicting to me, because I can see the parallels in Scripture, and sometimes when things are just written in such a black and white way, it's like, well, what am I going to do with that? Yeah. Like, am I going to actually choose to, how it was saying, suffer through the trials and seek after, hey, the biggest point of this life is for me to end up with a pure spirit and to be able to go be with God. Mm-hmm. Like, that is the biggest point of this life. Even suffering through the trials and still praising God's name in the middle of them. Mm-hmm. Like, that was that part right there, and yet they still blessed his name. Um, I think that's just a, a, an essential characteristic of the righteous, and that it, it's going to come, um, but do we praise God's name in it? Yeah, I really liked everything you said. There was something that you said that I was thinking about, and then I completely forgot, but 
that's probably God saying Murdoch said it right, so don't add to it. So that's first Enoch. I'm pretty much out of notes other than I've got some stuff on where Enoch lands as far as in my brain. Yeah, go for it. So you look at first Enoch, and it's it's a it was a bunch of uh, individual works, and I read uh, somewhere where they said the way they phrased it was they were transmitted orally for a long time, and then someone decided to write them down, right. uh, which was probably a lot of scripture back then uh, as one text. And outside of Ethiopia, it's not read publicly in any churches. Um, but throughout everything we've seen, Enoch really shaped a major part of the New Testament thoughts and philosophies. And uh, especially if you look at Matthew's gospel, uh, the Johannian letters, and Peter, and uh, we talked about it in Jude. Jude was where we really started this quest to get into it. Yeah, I was going to say, did you ever put in the show notes kind of all of the allusions and references? Oh, I didn't. I have that, though, saved on my computer. All right. Well, we're at the end. Put, put that it in. in. Yeah, put it in Because it, it was informative to, to the mm-hmm. writers of the New yeah, Testament. Yeah, because you could see it. It, it was uh, in there for everything. But uh, the best way a lot of people have described it is that it's the hidden scriptures or it's the, what are the way the fathers put it? Uh, the Lord of Spirits podcast, there's three things to be read, the uh, in the church, at home, and then not at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is the one that is at home. This is how a lot of people would categorize it. Um, uh, Origen states that he had previously accepted First Enoch as scripture, but later found that others didn't consider it. Uh, so he changed his stance a little bit on it. Origen changes his, <laughs> his stance, stance a on lot. almost everything. That's the he's more a I, hard guy yeah. to understand. He like he wrote a lot, and if you're just like, oh, here it is, and yeah. then you look later, you're like, oh, wait, what is he saying? So yeah, I found that about him. Uh, the Epistle of Barnabas uh, it twice cites Enoch as scripture. Uh, early Christians, Tertullian, Irenaeus, uh, Clement, uh, they all advocated First Enoch as something that was worthy of uh, status in the canon. Uh, and considered authoritative on certain matters of doctrine and truth. Uh, I like this one. St. Justin, the philosopher in the mid-century, uh, refers more than once to the Watcher's story as he reflected in First Enoch. Um, and it was important, like we said already, to the New Testament. It's a vital part of the tradition in which scriptures were passed to the fathers. Uh, so First Enoch can, uh, for us, be important part of our own understanding of scripture today. And that's how I'm really looking at it. Um, a lot of problems, I think, happen because people are unaware of history mm. and uh, anything outside of what is in the Old Testament is looked at as like, no, don't touch it, don't read it. Um, and I think the bigger problem is that Enoch himself wasn't the author of Enoch. That's a, the, a lot of where if I've mentioned what we're doing is what I get the pushback. You know Enoch didn't write it. And I'm like, yes, that's why I'm doing a podcast on it, because we're talking about that stuff. And it's just, I don't want to use the word, but it's kind of an ignorance of the nature, because uh, within our own Bible, we have Joshua and First and Second Samuel. I was going to say that. So a lot of times the pushback on Enoch is what other people have said. And I guess obviously our push forward for Enoch is what other people have said and what we've studied on our own. Uh, but... Um, just because it's not quoted in the Bible doesn't, as scripture, or just I mean, because... It was quoted. Jude was just like, hey, check out this prophet. Yeah, uh, but just <laughs> I, because I the saying, quote yeah. was in the Bible, it also doesn't make it scripture. Yeah. Uh, the Baal People, cycle... That part was. Yeah. Uh, the Baal cycle was in there. There's... Uh, who's that Greek philosopher? Epimenides? Yeah, that uh, Paul. Mm-hmm. Jude quoted the Testament of Moses. So there's a lot of things in there. Um uh, 
basically my point is this. The people who wrote the Bible that we read, they read Enoch. And I think if you, anyone who's listening to this is like thinking like they shouldn't, I think if you read Enoch, it really helps uh, lay down what they were tracking on as they read it. Um, it's a good guide. It's a good understanding. After reading it myself, I don't see a lot of the controversy on why people think it's heresy in some sense. Um, because it does kind of, like we've said in the, the last part, it does tackle a central theme to the Bible. There's two ways, and judgment's coming. So follow after God with all your heart, and you'll be safe. You'll be like Noah, who's safe in the flood. So I don't see a lot of discrepancies, although there are some, um, obviously, but it's also manuscripts that were, some of them were incomplete, some of them weren't. So we have a lot of portions in there that, like we saw in the last episode, where things were kind of out of order. Um, but I just say read it. I guess that's where I'm going to land with Enoch. Read it for yourself. Put a little time into it. Get some of the commentaries that we mentioned. Some of the Listen to some of the people that we've talked about um, who talk about it because they probably explain it better than we do. And yeah. Heiser and Nicholsberg. Yeah. Like, highlight those two for sure. And just give it a try because for me, it's helped shape a lot of how I understand the theme and the whole of the Bible. What's the the message is trying to get there. Not to say that it's like enlightened me where now I understand the Bible better, but it, it put a little thing in there and like, that makes more sense why it was said that way or phrased this way, especially when it comes into like the terms of hell in the, in the New Testament. Is it my closing thoughts? Yeah. What do I think about Enoch? Yeah. Mine, mine isn't as complicated. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm in, I'm in agreement yeah, with yeah, everything yeah, that you yeah. say. Like, I get where you're coming from with all of that. Um, yeah, definitely. I'm just like, well, as I've learned more or, you know, when I ended up learning that how much it was influential to the people who wrote our Bible mm-hmm. and that they weren't afraid of it and they used it and they alluded to it and everything. I'm just like, OK, well, then it's useful for me to understanding them. So mm-hmm. at the very least, it's like a side reference to help understand yeah. the thing that I'm trying to understand. Like it gives the context. I've, I talk a lot with people about like. I could just say some words and you could hear them and maybe based on the context of stuff, you're like you'll be like, okay, I kind of get it. But if you didn't know that I was quoting a movie, then you just think I'm saying words. Yeah. If you've seen the movie I'm quoting, you're going to pull the full context of that movie mm-hmm. and bring that into the conversation. That's how I think a lot about it. It's just like, oh, I, I want to know what they're pulling from so I can get the greater context. Mm-hmm. That's how I look at it. And just like, for me, does it need to be canonized it doesn't need to where i just tend to hold it is that it fills in a lot of gaps for me yeah that i'm like well here's the closest thing to an answer that the biblical writers seemed okay with reading Mm -hmm. that like kind of fills in those gaps so i'm not going to teach that as here's the biblical teaching on what those gaps are i will teach it as here is the second temple understanding of how some of these people were thinking about some of these things, yeah. which is, is what you can say about it. And that's what I was mean. Like, do I, do I need it to be this thing? I don't need it to be that thing. I'm glad to have some of those holes filled, but that's about what it is for me. You, you know yeah. what I mean? Um, other than that, like Enoch, my, my son Silas, one of the first things when we were talking baby names, is I, I said Enoch. Ever since I f- first got back into the church and was reading the Bible and was like, Oh, Enoch, and then he wasn't because he was with God. I'm like, what? Where's the rest of the story? This guy's awesome. And then you get in the New Testament, and you're like, 
like Enoch, and you're like, who is this guy? <laughs> Why is no one talking yeah. about this? And then I find out that there's a book about him and it has all this stuff. I'm like, this dude's awesome. Like when he was with God all those times, and like God's like, yeah, you get to come up here and read all the tablets. And hey, you're, you're like, you're interacting with the fallen angels and telling them, no, there's no redemption. Like, you know, and just all of those things are going, I'm going to show you all the secrets of heaven. It's like, Enoch's pretty awesome. Yeah. Again, it's, it fills in the fantastical story about who is this guy, Enoch. Does he need to be as fantastical as the book puts him across? I, I don't care. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I just don't. Uh, it doesn't change my current life. Right. Other than the biblical themes that we've been pulling out of it, as you said many times, there is the way of life, the way of death. Mm-hmm. I love the way that it talks about the Son of Man and the Messiah. I love the way that it talks about the Messiah coming in and the, the righteous one and all the different wordings and stuff like that. I'm just like, that's really cool. But there's tons of levels of conviction in this book that do challenge me and change my life, but it's also nothing that I couldn't get from the scripture. Mm-hmm. So that's where it lands with me. It's just like reading through it. It's just like uh, I can I can Christianize it all I want. Mm-hmm. But I could go watch a Marvel movie and Christianize it. Like, my brain is just always doing that anyways. Yeah. Yeah. So don't be afraid. Read it. It's not heresy. Yet. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> not until we describe yeah, it. Yeah, not until we've done our thing. But yeah, uh, I've had fun. I know we're going to dive into uh, The Shepherd of Hermas next. Uh, we probably won't do as deep of a dive into it. We'll give more of an overview. Uh, but that's going to be a fun ride, too. That one will be interesting. Lots of visions. Lots of visions. Lots of weird visions. But uh, just a kind of a sneak peek. This was an actual book that was considered canon. So um, it's interesting. It's going to be interesting to get into it and see, like, for a while they thought this kind of fit with everything. But um, it, it, it's an interesting ride. To look at the Didache, we're just like, that got lost. But it was the teachings. And I'm mm-hmm. like... That really seems like it should be like an addendum to the Bible of just like, yeah. here's the teachings. And then you have first Enoch that's just like, well, it's kind of red. Depending on, on if mm-hmm. you're this one country, then you get yeah. to have it. And then you have the Shepherd of Hermas that's just like, no, nah, this was really well respected and like brought in as far as scripture. But no, not anymore. Yeah. So that's why we're looking at some of these things to yeah. broaden our horizons. Because going from the forgotten books of the Bible, because nobody actually reads the Bible we do have, to trying to add more books in mm-hmm. there. And just like, here's more stuff that <laughs> nobody's paying attention to. That's what, the, uh, Remember when I said I forgot something? Yeah. That's what it was. Uh, it's history. And I feel like a lot of times as Christians, we, we firmly believe our history of Christianity started with the 12. Like the disciples, Jesus, that's when this new religion became a thing. But our history is all the way back from the beginning, and it is the Second Temple stuff. And the fact that we choose to not read the Second Temple or even like after the disciples and the early church fathers, we do ourselves such an injustice on our faith that we lose so much of our history and understanding. And and to read Second Temple literature, to see how they understood what they already had and what they kind of knew was coming, it's marvelous. It's really a great thing uh, to read what the people thought after the disciples and where they were like, kind of, all right, this is the thing we're doing. How are we going to carry this ball and run with it? It's fantastic. And we just get so narrow visioned. And I'm not picking on any book. It's just the book that comes to my mind. Um, but we're like 
reading purpose-driven book in our churches and like preaching from it on a weekly sermon and saying, this is okay to do, but uh, Clement's writings are like, yeah, don't even touch those. That's heresy. That It's just so weird to me. And yeah. it's it's more weird. Let's take a 40-day challenge from this thing yeah. and not from this thing. And just like, which one historically was more widely accepted? And it's so weird to me because I was there. Like, as a Christian, that was me until I was like, oh, what? let me see. It's almost a, uh, when I got married to Justine, I hated mac and cheese. Uh, not because... Um, I've ever really tried it. I just didn't like the look of it. And my mom would make it at home and I wouldn't eat it. I just was like, no, that's gross. I didn't like the look of it. So Justine one day was like, here, just try it. And she forced, like literally forced the spoon in my mouth and I ate it and I was like, oh, this is pretty good. I like this stuff. Um, that's really what this has become for me. It was like forced mac and cheese in my mouth of like, yeah, just just start reading it. And I was like, oh, this is really good. Um, but I, I could keep going and rambling on and on and on, but I feel like I'm done. So I'm Chris. I'm Mjordach. And here ends the revelation of the secrets of Enoch. And we are your church friends. Thanks for listening. Has your once youthful face vanished into an unknown odor reflection? All the wrinkles telling the story of an aged face. Do you wish you could bring back the shining glow you once had? Then get ready to feel born again with the B-Attitude Beauty Products new face mask, The Noah. You trusted them with your hair when they gave you the Peacemaker Shampoo and Conditioner and the Nazarite Shampoo. Well now you can trust them with the skin on your face. The Noah face mask deeply cleans and removes impurities that can lead to the way of death and restoring your face to the way of life. That old woman face will be rejuvenated back to those young woman looks the more you use Noah's face mask with faith. Simply apply the Noah face mask seven times a day for 16 days straight to have a smooth new face glow. Age will only be a number as your youthful radiance returns with the Noah face mask. So rush to your nearest big box retailer to get yours today. Noah Face Mask isn't actually sold in stores or FDA approved. Do not use the Noah Face Mask if you are pregnant, nursing, have back pains, have a heart condition, have recently received a vaccine, have had dental work, or if you simply enjoy having two nostrils and existing. Noah has been known to cause horns to grow from your head, a third eye to appear, cartoon-like features, hunger, and catch back fever. Excluded books of the Bible.